Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And welcome to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, live in studio for once uh, here in Lowell. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm going to have a couple of guests uh, join us today. The first is going to be uh, attorney Jeff Higgins. Jeff, are you there? Let's see if he's on the line. I'm here. How are you? All right, Jeff. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining me today. No problem. Uh, just to, and just to you know to finish our setup here. So we're going to do. Uh, I think we'll, we'll we'll call this sort of a, an, an elder care slash elder law show. Uh, Jeff, you are an attorney in Chelmsford, and I think your your specialty is in elder care. Although I, I you know we don't know each other all that well, so uh, we'll get into sort of you and your business. But I know we're going to we're going to talk elder uh, elder law. Uh, later on in the show, I'm going to have my uh, my wife Suzanne join me. She is an elder care consultant, and it's it's tough to book guests on a on a on a Saturday uh, Saturday morning in the summer. So I uh, I'm calling in a favor from my wife here. So we'll we'll have her on for the second hour. And uh, but let's start. Um, you know, let me start by giving off uh, by giving out our our telephone number. Uh, if you have any questions, again, we're live uh, on WCAP today. Uh, telephone number is nine seven eight. Four five four four nine eight zero and Jeff, for your information, we do uh, we do have a McNamara on Money is also broadcast out of the South Shore on WATD, and so we uh, you know we got flip flop shows here. So if I if I refer to that, that's why I'm that's why I'm saying live uh, live in Lowell here today. So uh, all right, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeff, and uh, how, how you know what made you well tell us about your business and uh, your specialty and sort of how you got into it. 
That's uh, a good good question. How do I get into it? I, I got out of law school and I got hired by a great guy named Jim Doyle in Lowell. He had his own law firm, and he hired me, and uh, he taught me everything I know, which was he elder law, and he specialized in protecting assets for people that are in nursing homes or that are concerned that you know they would lose their assets if they went in a nursing home. He taught me that, and so I specialize not only in elder law, but in protecting assets for people that are already in a nursing home uh, or concerned that uh, somebody may be going into a nursing home. And um, and so we do estate planning and also what we call Medicaid planning. I'm right in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. I've been there for 23 years uh, after I left Jim Doyle. I opened up my own uh, office in Chelmsford, and it's on 227 Chelmsford Street, Suite B, and my phone number is 978-256-4704, and I give a free consultation for anybody that wants to either talk to me over the phone or come in in person. And um, and I'd like to say that I've uh, never had a Medicaid application denied. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're going to get into, you know, we'll obviously get into uh, elder law because I know that is your, your specialty. Um, do, and do you practice, is it, is it almost exclusively elder law or do you do, you know, what, what's the breakdown of your business as, well, as I, percentages? I, I, yeah, I, I would say 80% is elder law and then I sprinkle in a little criminal defense, uh, here and there operating under the influence of alcohol because in elder law, you, you just don't get into court too much. Sometimes you do, but very rare. Yep. So I, I like to uh, keep sharp with my trial um, techniques, and so I, I do try cases and usually, you know, like I said, operating under the influence of alcohol or usually cases in uh, district court, and I, we do a little personal injury. We do a little uh, real estate, which sort of the real estate is, you know, part and parcel to the elder care law. So we do, but basically it's it's elder law with I would say a little criminal defense, a little personal injury. Okay, all right, uh, terrific. All right, so let's. I, I think we, we it probably makes sense for us to start uh, sort of at the beginning. Uh, you know, and I th- I think elder law is is kind of broadly defined, and I think a lot of the a lot of the maybe the interesting parts or uh, or the, maybe the the parts that get the most attention are. You know, kind of right as someone's going into a nursing home and, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're facing the nursing home bills and it's difficult to pay and, and everyone's kind of worried about, uh, you know, worried about their assets running out. But I mean, my, we, obviously there's a, there's a piece that happens well before that. And, uh, so I mean, I'm, my guess is you're, you, you do meet with clients in, you know, not, not who are just heading into a nursing home in the moment, but you're, you know, you're meeting with clients well ahead and, and sort of planning in advance for this stuff too. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, if we start out at the basics, uh, everybody should have some estate planning documents, especially as you get into your fifties, sixties, you know, you should have the basics. The basics are a will, a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy. Those are three different documents and the will, <laughs> the will is, you know, telling the court who you're going to leave your assets to. You're going to tell them in the will, you're going to say, hey, I want to leave my assets to these people. I want this person to be my personal rep, used to be referred to as the executor or executrix, but now in Massachusetts, it's the personal representative. And a lot of people think, oh, I've got a will, I'm all set. And no, you're not all set. A will 
has to go to court. So we, when a person dies, that will has to be probated through the probate court. That's a process that's going to take a year to a year and a half for your loved ones. It's going to be very expensive and costly. And at, at the end of the year to a year and a half, your ears will get what you left them. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm, I, got, I got my will. I'm, I, I took care of that. I'm all set. When I die, it's going to go to my kids. Yeah, but there's going to be a big hassle for the kids or whoever your ears are, whether it be your niece, your nephew, your brother, your sister. So um, you, you should have a will, um, but if you want to avoid probate, you have to have a trust. And so, so the first document you should have is a will. The second is a very important document called a power of attorney. That's if you're not competent, you got in an accident or you had some health issues where you're not competent to make financial decisions, you appoint an agent, usually your spouse or your child or somebody that you trust to be an agent to make financial decisions while you can't. That's very important if you, yeah. if somebody ends up in a nursing home. You know, to have that document so that your loved one, whoever you made your agent, can apply for Medicaid and get you on benefits. And the third document is the health care proxy, similar to the power of attorney, but it gives your agent the um, authority to make health care decisions. But that only is effective when you are not competent. You make your decisions if you're competent, but if you're unconscious, you're not competent to make a health care decision whether we pull the plug, whether we give you a blood transfusion, um, you know, whether we uh, operate, then it, if you have an agent and a healthcare proxy, that person will make the decision only if you can. And those are the basics. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of struck. Uh, I mean, to your point where you say people say, "Oh, I have a will, so I'm all set." I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sort of constantly struck by the by the fact of. How specific every uh, you know every legal document is, right? I mean, you know, working with our clients, uh, I'll occasionally have to get in and sort of dig into a trust to figure out uh, you know things about you know who's the trustee and what are the powers of the trustees and all that all that good stuff. And you know, it'll be you know I'll, I'll have to read you know twenty or thirty pages sometimes of a trust, and it's all so so specific. It's they're they're very detailed, and, and it's not like you just have this one document. And oh, hey, I'm covered with everything, right? You you very much need every document is very very deep and specific to its own topic, and I, I it's, that's just sort of something that comes up, and I, I kind of marvel at how uh you know how long a trust can be, and seemingly to me it's it's you know it's they're they're covering a lot of points, but it's uh, it seems very very uh, narrow as to as to uh, what it's actually covering, although it's you know although it may be twenty thirty pages long. Correct. A trust is the next step. Once you get past the basic yeah. will, any healthcare proxy, now do you want to avoid probate? You know, you're into the trust. That's going to help your kids, you know, receive your assets immediately upon your death. No lawyers, no probate court, no nothing, right to the kids. And that's what a trust does. And that, that's what we call a revocable or a family trust or a living trust. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is sort of, um, you know, once you get, you know, well, let's talk a, little, a bit, a bit, a bit about the will versus the trust. Um, I know that trusts obviously have a bunch more, you know, have a bunch more detail and it seems like there are a lot more decisions to make. Is it, is it accurate to say that setting up a will is fairly easy relative to setting up a trust? Is there more homework that needs to be done? Are there more decisions that need to be, be made by the, uh, by the consumer in this case? 
Not really, not a lot more. There, It is obviously more complicated when you have a trust, and then you have to put assets into the trust. With a will, you just say, I leave my house to this person, I leave my cash to this person, I leave my car to this person. In a trust, you do the same thing, but then you have to put the asset into the trust. For instance, once you, once I draft a trust, you tell me what you want, who's going to get your house, who's going to get your assets, who's going to be your, your trustee when you die, and then I draft a trust, and you're in complete control of your own trust. You own everything in it. Nothing changes. You're in complete control. But when you die, your successor, say a child or, or, or close relative, takes over and distributes the assets immediately. But with the trust, we have to put the asset in. So when I do a trust, if we put the house in the trust, then I draft the deed, I record the deed, and now your house is in the trust. Nothing changes. Instead of you owning it as John Smith in your individual name, you own it as John Smith trustee. If you sell it, you still get the money. It's still your house. Nothing changes. But the big key is that when you die, that house goes to who you want it to with no probate, no court, no lawyers, no, no legal fees, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, one of the things that we deal with clients, uh, you know, we help clients with a lot is actually funding the trust, right? I mean, we're, we, we very regularly have financial conversations about, you know, what, you know, what clients would like to have happen with their money when they die. And in a lot of cases, the, you know, either because they want to avoid probate or because they have some specific directions that maybe are more appropriate for a trust. Uh, you know, we will, you know, we'll tell them to visit with an estate planning attorney and, you know, put, you know, put your wishes down on paper, right? That all, it, it, I mean, am I, is it accurate to say that that all falls apart if they don't actually fund the trust? Like, I mean, I, I know that, you know, as an example, let's just say we set up, uh, you know, you work with a, a client, you set up a trust and the intention is for their brokerage account to go into that, tr- you know, to, to be re-registered and titled to the trust. And they don't end up doing that. Can you just walk us through what happens then? Is is all that work for naught, or or are they just back in probate and, and it just takes longer? Right. It, it's all for naught. You're back in probate. So what I do is I draft the trust. Yeah. And then I put the house in. So if they want their house in the trust, some people have a house, some people don't. Some people just have a lot of money. Some people have a little money. There's all different scenarios. So if you have a trust, I, and you have a house, I will put the house in the trust for you, and then I'll say, you got to go see Justin McIntyre, <laughs> yep. and he's going to help you fund your trust by putting the accounts you have with him into that trust. Still, You still own it. They're in the same investment. It's just now you own it as trustee, and when you die, it's going to go to your heirs without probate. So I, I really put a lot of effort into explaining to the client uh, that you have to fund it. I've had clients come in and say, hey, I already have a trust. Here's my trust. I did it years ago. And then I say, well, what's in it? What do you mean what's in it? Everything. Everything's in it. I go, well, did you put your house? Did you do a new deed? No. Did you go to the bank and put your check in and save? No. They they get the mistaken impression that once you have a trust, everything's already in it. No, you've got to do the work. I do the work to put it in the in the uh, the deed into uh, the house into the trust, and then I say you got to go see Justin. He's going to do the work to to help you put it put your assets, your cash assets in. Yeah, we do a, we do a lot of that paperwork. Yeah, it's a it's a regular yep. part of our business. Um, can, can you just talk? You know, this is just a, sort of an aside, but it, it comes up fairly often, and I get the question a bunch. 
um, you know, we're, we're very good because we're, you know, we meet with our clients. We generally are, are pretty on top of their estate planning wishes. So, uh, we're, we're very good about, Hey, do you have a trust? If you have a trust we're you know, we're looking at brokerage accounts. Are they registered? Are they titled correctly? Uh, you know, we may, we, we look at beneficiary designations, which may or may not, um, also be directed to a trust. Uh, a question we get a, a lot is on bank accounts, right? And, you know, oh, uh, you know, you know, sometimes we'll be talking to uh, someone's, someone's son or daughter. Oh, mom has a, uh, she has a bank account and it's only about 10 grand in it. And I just put myself on as a, as a joint owner, as opposed to registering it to the trust. Cause I mean, the, the paperwork part of it, uh, the trust paperwork part of it is not all that easy uh, for someone like me who, you know, who we do it all the time. Um, I don't find it to be that difficult. I mean, I assume banks do it all the time, but I, I find people have have usually more of an issue opening up that bank account in the name of a trust than maybe they do with the investment accounts because there's not necessarily someone like me bugging them about it. So, can you just speak to that briefly? Is that is that okay as a backup plan, and uh, and or do you is it always the case that you really want that that little bank account in the trust? Well, you know that's a good that's a good question. I mean. If you have a bank account with over 25000 then you should have it in the trust because if you don't, there's going to be a full probate. If it's under 25000 it's a voluntary statement. It's a very quick process. Um, so, okay. And that's, you know, on a per, that's like a per-account basis? Yes. Okay. Well, no, total assets. Oh, total, okay, so okay. You, right. So if you have all your assets in a trust and you have only one bank account, it's not in the trust. It's under twenty five thousand. It's not going to be a big problem. It is going to have to go to probate, but it's going to be two weeks and a couple hundred bucks rather than a year and a half. But so, but putting your child or somebody else on your account as a joint will avoid probate. But you got to remember, if you have five children and you put one on as a joint, yeah. when you die, that that one child owns the account, and you have to trust that they're going to divide it as you wanted it divided. You know, and so I would say if you have 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, it's very easy to walk into the bank with your new trust that I just drafted. Here's my trust. Attorney Higgins just drafted it. You give it to the bank and you say, I want to put my accounts in the trust. And then they'll do the paperwork at the bank to get your account into the trust. And then again, nothing changes. You still own it. You're still, you get all the money when you're alive. But then when you die, it's going to go to the heirs that are listed in, in the trust as the beneficiaries of the trust, rather than that one person that you put on as a joint. I mean, if you trust, you know, your, your, your son or your daughter or whoever it is, then yes, you put them on as a joint. And when, when, when you die, they're going to get the money and hopefully split it as you told them. But what happens if that child dies before you? Yeah. And then you now you have a probate, or you, you know, God forbid you die in a in an ac- in an accident together. So so the trust is the better alternative, but you know, putting somebody on his joint does work. Yeah, 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 and I think I, I tend to see it more. I think when uh, you know, because you know, folks will have not just one bank account, right? I mean, if you're if you if you have three four bank accounts, it just gets the the paperwork gets a little bit overwhelming, and I think sometimes we we'll see folks just you know putting putting themselves on his joint to, to ease it. But there are, again, to your point, there are there are other consequences as well, right? I mean, if, if we're not talking about bank accounts, if you're talking about investments, uh, then, you know, if, if, a, if a joint, if one of the joint owners dies and then your son or daughter is the new owner, 
there may be tax consequences to liquidating a portfolio of assets, right? I mean, you know, it, it's not – if it's done fairly quickly, there's probably not much um, because – uh, because the capital gains won't have had time to, to accumulate. But, you know, if, even if it's at six months and so, oh, hey, I have to sell my portfolio of $150,000 and it, it appreciated by ten grand, then all of a sudden there's a capital gain and, who, you, know, you know, those taxes are, are taxed to the person who liquidated it. Uh, there are potentially gifting issues if you're talking about larger sums of money, right? I mean, you're, you're only able to give $15,000 per year. Um, to another person without, you know, sort of filing a gift tax return and just, it, it, it's right. not that big of a deal probably for the average person, but it's just another piece of paperwork and administration. Um, so, you know, I, I would, we, we do try to advise folks to, if you, if you've gone through the work to, to set up a trust, um, you know, please follow through with it and make sure you have it, uh, all, all completely implemented because, hey, I mean, you know, you, you paid the money. You, you paid good money to to set up a trust and make sure that your wish, you know, all of your wishes were, um, you know, sort of play out the way that you want to. And um, there's no reason not to go ahead and, and finish it off and make sure it all actually works out for you. Yeah, excellent point. Excellent point, Justin. That you know, when you put your portfolio, your stock portfolio, into a revocable trust, and when you die, your ears get the step up in basis. They get the value of your stock. When you die, tax-free. So, so they're not paying that big capital gains tax if if you if you give it away or you give your stocks away before you die. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. We have a break here in a few minutes. Now, now, do you find um, again? These are I'm asking you sort of fairly generic questions. I know that you know just like with our business, you're you're tailoring everyone's uh, everyone's plan to them specifically. Uh, do you find you know? Is there a difference? Are you doing trusts for the house versus and then a, maybe a separate trust for investments? Or I know, are we? If you're doing a, a revocable trust for someone, is it generally just one trust, or are you doing multiple? Can you speak to that generically? Yeah, I mean, the, the client has just the one trust. Uh, sometimes it's the revocable family trust. Sometimes it's the irrevocable trust, and sometimes they have two. And the more assets you have. Then you pro, you know, the more estate planning you need, because if you have, you know, a million dollars in a house, you're going to need both trusts because you're going to need a trust to avoid probate where you are in control. Yeah. But you might want to have a irrevocable trust to protect some of the assets from the nursing home. So you might put your house in an irrevocable trust. You might put half a million into the irrevocable trust, leaving yourself with, Hey, I still own my house, my house for life and I, Still have five hundred thousand in cash. I can do whatever I want with, but my house in the other five hundred thousand is bulletproof from the nursing home if that ever happens. So if you have significant assets, you're looking at probably two trusts. If you have, you know, a house and two hundred thousand, maybe you're only looking at one trust. It just just depends, and it depends on the person. You know, do they do they want to protect? From the nurse, you know, people people that have children and they want to make sure that their children are going to get their house and their cash when they die. They're more interested in the irrevocable trust to protect assets because they don't want to lose them. They want them to go to their children. Another person that's 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 single or is doesn't have any kids might not be as concerned. They might say, you know, I want to have access to my uh, assets, you know, for my whole life. I don't want to. I don't want to put anything into an irrevocable trust, uh, even though I might still 
own my home in the irrevocable trust, there are some limits. Right. Yeah, and I think we should we should take a little bit of time here. We're going to have a break, and I think we'll probably spend most of the second half hour of the show discussing, uh, you know, kind of the, the very specific, uh, you know, it's we'll call it maybe generically Medicaid planning, but protecting your assets from a nursing home from long term care expenses. I think that's it's, it's going to be sort of its own topic. But you know, let, let's get some of the terminology out of the way. You know, you you did mention so a, a revocable trust is a trust that you control, right? So you, you it's you title your assets to the name of the trust, but you re, you you remain in control of those assets, and you can sort of fully do whatever you want with them, right? So it's it's just kind of like it's it's sort of like having a bank account in your name, but it's just titled to the trust, but it doesn't really affect what you can do with the money or the asset. Uh, whereas an irrevocable trust, you're, you you have to give up control of that asset. Do I have that generic, basically right? Is there anything you want to add to that one? Yeah. In irrevocable trust, you give up some control. For instance, you still own your house. You still have a life estate in your house, so you still own it while you're alive. The cash, you know, you, you give up some control of the cash you put in, but you're able to take out the interest, you know, the interest income if, if you're making Fifteen twenty thousand a year in 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 uh, interest on your investment in the irrevocable, you can take that out. So um, so there is uh, you know not total loss of control, but let's say this: you have to be able to trust whoever you make trustee because you're not the trustee of that of the irrevocable trust. Usually, your child or some somebody that you really trust is your trustee. Right. Yeah. I, I guess it's not a. It's you don't you don't fully you don't necessarily give up. I guess use of the asset fully, but, uh, you know, you, is it, is it safe to say that everything is sort of predetermined in advance, right? So if you do an irrevocable trust, the trust will say, uh, but I have rights to the income from the portfolio or rights to, or rights to, in, in the case of a life estate with real estate, I have the right to live there for the rest of my life. But there's really not a lot of, oh, you know what? I'm getting played off. I always get played off, Jeff. All right. We'll be right back. All right. All right. This is Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. When I hosted the most recent Smart With Money Fair for the Marshfield High School seniors, we went through an exercise comparing investing an amount of money over 40 years versus investing that same total amount of money over 20 years. The end result for the person who saved longer was more than twice the amount of the other person's. This is a hypothetical exercise, of course, but the point remains, save early and save often. If I can help you save early and often, visit our website at McNamaraFinancial.com. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, live in Lowell today. By by my onesies, no uh, no Mike to, no Mike alongside here. We've uh, we've given him a Saturday in the summer off, uh, but I am I'm, I'm happy to be joined uh, by Jeffrey A. Higgins from the law offices of Jeffrey A. Higgins in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, and we're we're talking uh, wills and trusts, and we're going to get into some elder law here. So, Jeff, you still with me? Yes, I am here. Uh, you know, I'll, you know, I, you know, while I have you, I'll, I'll give out your uh, your telephone number here nine seven eight five zero two six seven five one. I that's that's the right number. That's what Google yep. says your telephone number at your office is. That's so a good number. Yep. <laughs> All right. So if anyone has any questions, uh, if you want to reach out to us, uh, if you have any questions right now, please don't hesitate to give us a ring nine seven eight four five four four nine eight zero. Again, that's nine seven eight four five four four nine eight zero. We are. Uh, live in Lowell today. No pre-recorded shows. I was, I, I did, I do mostly pre-recorded in the, uh, in the spring because I'm generally coaching soccer, uh, on Saturday mornings, but I'm, I'm back live today. So happy to have you, Jeff. Thank you. 
Um, oh no. Uh, we we also have uh, my my our second hour, second hour of the show is going to be an elder care uh, show. So I believe I have my wife Suzanne on with me. Suzanne, can you hear us? I can hear you. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you for joining me. And, uh, yeah, if, if, if there are any kids in the background, if we hear any of those kids, th- th- those would be my kids and, and apologies in advance. What are they doing right now? Are they watching TV? Nope. They're outside catching oh, really? frogs, I think. Catching so frogs. All right. It's either going to go really well or I'll hear some screams soon. <laughs> yeah, so we'll so see what happens. Well, that's right. At least I they, told what? them I was going to pay them to mulch. So we'll see if that happens too. That's right. Well, know. TV would have been, yeah, you, we, we would have had less of a risk of uh, someone coming in crying, but hey, that's all right. <laughs> That's all right. All right. Well, we'll I like we'll, to live on the wild side. Well, <laughs> let's get into, you know, and Suzanne, I'm not sure, you know, I wanted to have you on just in case something came up with regard to elder care during this half hour. We'll, we'll transition more, uh, in the next half hour and, and talk about it kind of more specifically. But, um, uh, we're, you know, Jeff, let's, let's spend some time, I think, on, I think the, the question that you probably get most and, and the thing that what people think of when they think of an elder care attorney is protecting their home from a nursing home. And I, I think, let, let's, can you just explain briefly, I know we talked about it a bit, how exactly does that work? How, how do you protect your assets? And we'll talk, you know, about some of the strategies and, you know, planning in advance and sort of, you know, last minute crisis planning as well. But operationally, how do you protect your money from a nursing home from a legal point of view? Okay, so it, it's pretty, it's um it's pretty complicated. There's a lot of elder law attorneys out there that, you know, draft wills and trusts and do probates and guardianships, conservatorships, but not, you know, most of them do not specialize in Medicaid. Medicaid's yeah. federal laws, and those are the laws that apply if somebody goes to a nursing home. So if we have somebody going to, somebody's in a nursing home, it's pretty pretty basic as far as if you are married, uh, the asset limit for a married couple. So the husband has to go to the nursing home, and the wife is the healthy spouse in the community. The healthy spouse gets to keep approximately 130000 in cash, the house, one house, not the vacation home, and a car. And the uh, husband that is in the nursing home gets to keep 2000 So um, now that said, if you get an attorney like me, you hire me, I can do what's called a Medicaid plan, and the healthy spouse will be able to keep all of the assets. Um, and so that, that the laws are very favorable to a married couple, but you have to do the Medicaid plan. And the nursing home's not going to tell you, oh, don't pay us 15000 a month until you're down to the asset limit of $130,000. Yeah. They say, oh, you have to spend down to one thirty, then you're husband will qualify for Medicaid. Not true. You don't have to. If you're married, you can keep, you know, I've had clients that had over a million dollars and a spouse went in the nursing home and the healthy spouse was able to keep all of the assets. So now with a single person, that's the problem. A single person can only have $2,000, no house. Uh, so if, if, if that's the case, then in, in, in a situation where they've done no pre-planning, we can typically protect the house. There may be a lien placed on the house by, by Mass Health or Medicaid. And um, there are ways that we can pick some of the cash, but not 100%. So if somebody has 100000 we might be able to protect twenty, thirty thousand, 30000 and maybe a little more, depending on the situation. So those are the two basic scenarios. Okay. And, and let's just go back to the, let's go back to the couple here. 
uh, and you said you could protect all the assets. What is the what, what legal vehicle are we, would we be using if that's if that's the circumstance that you're in, and you tell you know you tell a married couple, hey, I, you know we can protect those assets for the healthy spouse. What exactly are you doing from an from an operational point of view? Yeah, let's make it easy. Let's say there's 530,000 in cash assets or 532,000 in a house and a car. Then um, wife comes in, says, my husband's in a nursing home, Attorney Higgins. Uh, am I going to have to spend down that 400,000 and then get him on Medicaid? So the Medicaid's picking up the 15 grand a month. Because that's approximately what the cost of a good nursing home now is about 15, 14,000 per month. So, um, so what we would do is I'd say, no, you can keep your 130,000, whatever you want. Uh, there, there is a, you know, typically you cannot make gifts. If you make a gift, that's, you know, there would be a penalty. But transfers between spouses are allowed. So let's say the husband has a $300,000 in a 401k. Well, he can't keep it because he can only have 2000 but he can give it to his wife. And that would basically go into the Medicaid plan, and we would probably be purchasing a Medicaid-qualified annuity, and then the wife can keep the entire 401K of her husband. And now we still have another 100000 out, out uh, that is over the limit, and we can also do the same thing with that 100000 whether it's in the wife's name or the husband's name. But essentially, we give all of the assets to the wife. Uh, we typically would then purchase what we call a Medicaid-qualified annuity and get, get, them, get them down to the asset limit, and then we would apply for Medicaid. The husband is approved. And now the wife has all these assets, you know, 530000 and she's going to be quickly going over the asset limit of 130000 when she starts getting payments from her qualified annuity, but that doesn't matter. She can go over the asset limits once her husband is approved. She could even sell her house and keep all that money, uh, putting her well over the asset limit. But as long as we get her down to the asset limit, uh, doing this Medicaid plan, she'll get to keep everything. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to follow up on a few of those, uh, a few of those points there. But, you know, the first one, I just, you know, I, I, I can't not say it. Uh, you, a husband certainly can give away his 401k to a spouse. Uh, that will be subject to taxes, though, right? So, you know, part, part, part of the issue, if you have a particularly large 401ks, IRAs, it, it does make it more difficult to do this type of planning because you do have, you know, you kind of have to bite the bullet and pay all those taxes, um, which, you know, could be substantial, right? If you, in your example, a $300,000 401k can be gifted. Uh, however, it needs to come out of your social security number, right? You, you have to fully distribute the account subject to taxes. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I just, I just didn't want to, yeah, I just didn't want to gloss over that one. Um, cause that's just, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking about taxes. So <laughs> sorry about yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, and, and let's just, let's briefly talk about the Medicaid qualified annuity, right? So, so l- give us a little bit of more, more detail on exactly what that means, right? So annuity as in, an annuitized annuity, right? So you're trading you're trading an asset for a some you know for, for a series of payments. Is that correct? Correct. So first of all, if we if we use that example where the, the husband has a three hundred thousand dollar four hundred one k and he's in the nursing home, we per, we first have to assess whether we want to cash it in because if if the doctor is saying, "Geez, I don't think you know he he's he's probably only got a few months left 
left to live because he's in bad shape, then we probably are not going to cash it in. At that point, we right. may pay a few months of the nursing home rather than pay 30% in taxes. But if it looks like a long-term stay where he's going to be there a year, two years, three years, then we're going to gift, them, gift that 401k to the wife, and we're going to pay the tax. Uh, that's the bad part. But now she gets to keep it. And it goes into what we call a Medicaid qualified annuity, where she's going to get a check every month. So we're converting the asset to income because the healthy spouse can have can have as much income as she wants. There's no income limit. There's that one hundred thirty thousand dollar asset limit, but there's no income limit. So now we we take say four we take his three hundred thousand dollars. We pay the tax. So now we have about a two hundred and Ten, two hundred twenty thousand. We add in that hundred thousand that um, that uh, we have that uh, is uh, still over the limit. So now we have about three hundred and twenty thousand, uh, right? And then um, we purchase the annuity, three hundred twenty thousand dollar annuity payable over, let's say, five years. And so she's going to be getting a huge check every month for the next five years, but she gets to keep it all. So it, when she gets that first check, that's going to pop her over that $130,000 limit, but that's okay. okay. As long as she's under the asset limit, when we apply, they call it the snapshot, we apply, they're under the 130 for her and him 2000 We apply, we get the approval. Now, instead of uh, the wife having to pay that 15000 a month to the nursing home, Medicaid's picking that up. She gets to keep for 130 and all the income that's going to come in for the next five years. We usually use a short-term annuity uh, so that she gets all the money back quickly and can invest it. You know, are, are there restrictions on the, you know, when you say Medicaid qualified annuity, are there restrictions on the type of annuity that you purchase or, or is it, does, does any type of, you know, immediate annuity work no, there are restrictions. Okay. There's about 15 different requirements. Oh. For instance, you you have to get a check immediately in the first 30 days. You have to get as much. You have to get at least the amount of money you put in the annuity. You have to get back. So usually there is a small amount of interest. So you're getting back a little bit more than you put in. So there's there's about 15 requirements. That's why you have to get a special product. You just can't go out and say, Hey, I'm going to get the the best annuity I can with the highest interest rate. It's an immediate annuity yeah. because it may not be qualified. That's why I would go to somebody like you. I'd say, hey, I'm the legal expert. Yep. We're going to use Justin McNamara to do the Medicaid qualified annuity because, you know, that's his expertise. Right. Yes. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, we, we actually don't we actually don't sell annuities, but, uh, you know, just because of the way we have our business structured. But we certainly uh, are involved in the purchase of annuities, uh, you know, in, in the, it's not, I would say it's not a, all that common, uh, but once or twice a year, we will be working with someone who, uh, who is doing some Medicaid planning and does need a Medicaid, Medicaid qualified annuity. And so we'll work with the elder law attorney and with the client and then with the insurance company to, you know, to have, make sure we have sure. all the, all the I's dotted and T's crossed. But yeah, we, not officially through us, but I just didn't want to. I don't want yeah. to leave that one, but yes. You know, you, you might refer it to somebody right. that can do annuity, but when they, you know, and then when they get the money back, and now there are annuities now uh, that um, we can do that are shorter than five years. So we can do annuities for two or three years so that the 
to help these spouse get the money back quickly and can then reinvest it with, 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 with you and um, start to make some really good interest. Okay. Is that new? Because you know, you, because you just said that, I think it's been a while since I've actually had to dig in on an, on an annuity and, and annuity options. I, yep. there, it always was difficult to find a short-term payout in annuity, but I imagine that the, this is just the marketplace reacting to the, to the current law. And I'm, I'm wondering if that'll be, I'm wondering if that'll be addressed at some point because it seems like a pretty big loophole for you to be able to just buy a, a two, three year annuity and qualify for Medicaid and all of a sudden you're, you're basically whole again without, without a whole, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you can get an annuity that short, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of downside other than maybe any taxes that you needed to pay to free up that asset. Yes, it's brand new, and uh, Krauss Financial is doing annuities for two months, believe it or not, a two-month annuity. Is that right? I, I, I'm a little skeptical like you. I'm like, mm, I don't know if MassHealth is going to go for a two-month annuity, but uh, that's what they're advertising, and we have done shorter two- and three- and four-year annuities Used to be you could only you could only go five years, but now yeah uh, we're getting them two, three, and four years. Yeah, it was my it was my recollection that it w- that five years was the number. But okay, yeah, that's well. Hey, the market the market. Uh, hey, we have capitalism, right? So the market's always going to react and and uh, bring out new products when they're in demand. So uh, okay, so in, in this example, uh, there's no so there's no irrevocable trust. There's no gifting in the case of a husband and wife. Is it is it safe to say that the vast majority of the Medicaid planning here is done? Just with an essentially with an insurance product, and there's no there's no trust involved. Well, yes, if if it's an emergency, so yeah. you know, if if somebody comes in and says, "My husband's in the nursing home, we've got these assets. What can we do?" Then we're talking about that annuity, the the Medicaid plan. There are there are other things besides the annuity that we can do to protect some of the cash. Um, but if if we if we're talking about somebody that does some pre planning, yeah. so there's a Five-year look-back. So five-year look-back means if, if, if um, say, a married couple wants to avoid having to purchase that annuity in an emergency, if they've put assets into an irrevocable trust and the husband or wife have to go in the nursing home, if they've made the five-year look-back, then 100% of those assets are protected. But you don't really have to make the five years. Let's say you put your house in you know, 500000 in a irrevocable trust, and you get four years and somebody's got to go in the nursing home. Well, you have options. You may still be able to protect all of the assets in the trust if you have enough money to pay that last year. So you pay the last year, and now everything in the trust is bulletproof. If you have a house worth 500000 and cash worth 500000 in the trust, that's a million dollars. Well, we we don't we want to protect it. So if we if the if the healthy if the you know if it's a couple and they still have two or three hundred thousand in their own name, they may say, hey, let's pay that nursing home for one year, and now we're past the five year look back. So it's like a sliding scale. You don't really have to make the five years, but the closer you get to five years, the the more protection you have. Yeah, the the five years is, I guess the best way to say it is the five year look back. So you essentially have to give up control of, of the asset, right? Whether or not it's a, it's a gift to your family or if it's you funding an irrevocable trust that you don't, that you don't control. 
it's five years from the date that you apply for Medicaid, right? So you can, it's, it's not like from entrance into a nursing home. It is from when you apply for Medicaid. So whenever you fill that paperwork out. Right. And what, so, what, just, yeah, what you're saying is to be clear is you can pay for that as long as you have funds or maybe it's your family has funds in order to, you know, to, to cover you for a while to make that five years. Then under current law, um, all that money is protected. Correct. I mean, you know, if let's say you have $230,000 and you're a married couple and yep. you're in your 70s and you have a house, you might say, hey, let's put the house in the irrevocable trust. That's going to start a five-year clock where the house will be bulletproof. And um, and let's put 100000 into the trust, leaving us with 130000 Yeah, We still own our house, so we still our house. We still can do whatever we want with that one thirty. We have 100000 in the irrevocable trust. Now, if we make the five years, we know, okay, the house is bulletproof, 100,000 is bulletproof, and now we only have to worry about the 130. If somebody, if, if one of the, you know, if a spouse goes into the nursing home, then we don't have to do anything. We, we already qualify. But let's, the danger with, with that situation is what if one spouse dies and now the other spouse is widowed and they have 130,000 and that's exposed. So if they go to the nursing home, that 130 is countable that they've kept, but yeah. they've still protected the home and the other 100,000. So um, there's a lot of variables, but yes, when you put money in an irrevocable trust, you're actually making a gift. You're gifting it to the trust because it's going to go to the beneficiaries when you die. So they consider that a gift, and that starts the five years. Once you make the gift, and now if you go, if you have to go into a nursing home four and a half years later, well, you haven't made the five, but if you can pay that last six months, now you pass the five year look back and then you apply. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and Suzanne, I'd like, to, I'd like to get you in here for, for a second, uh, and we'll talk about it probably more, uh, after the, after the next break here. But, um, and, and Jeff, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this one out to you. When, when I'm talking with, with some clients, uh, about potentially Medicaid planning, and, and we'll say it's an advance, right? Let's say someone is in, uh, you know, they're, I usually start to hear this question maybe late sixties, early seventies. They say, well, I'm, you know, I'm concerned about protecting my money from a nursing home. Maybe, maybe I don't have a long-term care insurance policy in place because I chose not to buy one. And the question I get is, you know, should I, should I set up an irrevocable trust and, you know, and should I give my money away so I can start my look back period early, right? So as the as the advisor who's kind of worrying about retirement, that makes me depending on what the assets are, sometimes that makes me a little nervous because then I'm saying, well, okay, well maybe there's not enough income to get them through if they if they end up living till age 95 and they they end up not in a nursing home, well then if we're giving away money, maybe they don't have enough money to you know to make it until you know until they die, which is a concern, which is kind of the thing that I worry about all the time. Um, from a from a nursing home point of view, are you better off with more assets? Right. I mean, is is the fact that you may be on Medicaid going to affect what what care you know mom and dad may get? Let's just say if I'm if I'm thinking about this as my parents, do I want them to give their money away and maybe get worse care, or is that not really a concern? Why don't you maybe Suzanne? Can you can you take a shot at that if that's something that you, you know, have thought about? Sure. <clears throat> um, so it sort of depends. So there's there's nursing homes that are that are state funded that are you know under under the Medicaid plan so that so that folks can can get in there and have the bill paid for by Medicaid MassHealth if they qualify 
And then there are nursing homes that are, that are strictly private pay that Medicaid will not cover. And it, it kind of depends on what the goals of care are. And this is something that we talk with people about all the time. And that's why it's really important. And talk about it later. Hello? It's, it's really important to us that um, it's really important to us to have a financial planner and a lawyer an elder, elder law attorney, you know, on the team, and we recommend that often right from the get-go to discuss these things. Um, from a care perspective, you, you, you will sometimes have a different sort of level of care with a, a private nursing home rather than a, a public nursing home. Okay. Um, yeah. Hello. Wow. I think, we're, I think we're going right to uh, – people are calling into the station. I think they're going right to the board. Jeff, are you still with us? Jeff's not there. Okay. Um, all right, so yeah, I was you know I was going to ask Jeff, you know, my, one of the things that I think about, and I don't know if I don't know if, if you probably don't get into this very much, Suzanne, but um, you know, people will start to think about Medicaid planning and how to protect their assets fairly early, and I and I'm hoping we can get Jeff back maybe here to answer this question, but um, there's a there's an age at which I think it's probably a little bit too early to do this. I mean, do do you happen to off the top? I didn't pre- I didn't prep you for this one, but off the top of your head, do you know? the average age that someone might go into a nursing home and, and therefore maybe we can back into, you know, when is, when is too early to start worrying about Medicaid planning in advance? You want to take a shot at it? Sure. So I, I'm not <laughs> sure I heard your question a hundred percent cause I'm getting some static. Oh, okay. Um, uh, like every other word that, that I'm hearing you say, I'm hearing some static. Okay. Did you, did okay. you, can you just repeat your question? Yeah, sure. Is there, is there a time when, you know, what's, I guess what's too early, right? So if, if we, if we understand that giving your money away can, uh, you know, can protect it, when is too early, right? I mean, we'll get the question for some folks at age 70 and they say, Hey, I mean, you know, maybe I should fund a trust and that way I can protect my money. I'll start my five year clock. Uh, is does that strike you as too early, or when when do you think it's too early to start worrying about that? Just based on sort of averages and on when people need care. Yeah. So so I think I think one of the statistics about people in nursing homes, I want to say probably half of all people that are in nursing homes are I think it's like 84 or above. So you know people that are coming to you and coming to elder law attorneys in their 60s, it's it's early, but it's never too early to start planning what to do. But it really depends on how much money there is there and how much money is coming in income-wise. Every situation is so different, and there are people that do this planning real early, and, and there's people that, you know, that have no plan, and they're in their 80s, and they're facing the crisis situation. I would say it's never too early to meet with the professionals, you know, including someone like myself, someone like yourself, and someone like an elder law attorney. It's never too early to, to start at least talking about it so that you can educate yourself about it. Okay. But... The average age of a, of a nursing home resident is, is someone in their 80s, typically. Okay. You know what? We have uh, we have a few minutes before the break here, and we do have a caller. So let's go to Catherine. Catherine, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Um, is this Attorney Higgins? Uh, no, this is Justin. I, I think I think we lost Attorney Higgins. Did we? No. I'm oh, he's here. back. Okay. Sorry oh, about that. Okay. I thought I could call in and ask him yeah. a question. Yeah. No, he's he, okay. he is back. He's back. Go ahead. He's here. Go ahead, Catherine. Je- Jeff Higgins is back on the line. Okay. Attorney Higgins? Yes, I'm here. Yes, hi. I um, I hear you every so often on Teddy Panis' program, and um, I always said I was going to give you a call, and sometime I would like to come in for a view of my, you know, um, trust, etc. But right now I have one quick question. My trust is... uh, 
the original documents are being stored with the original lawyer that did it out in Acton. Um, and I have a copy of it. Uh, I would need to get the original copy and bring it to you for a review of the plan. No, you could bring in a copy. I, I never keep originals. I always give the originals to the clients, and I keep well, a copy. I don't know if mine is an original, but I'm assuming it would have a seal on it. And I have a letter from her, but I had done my plan way back in 2002, and I have a letter from her saying, enclosed you will find a copy of your trust and power of attorney, etc. And it says, let your fiduciaries know that the original copies are being stored uh, in our will vault. That's at the attorney out in Acton. Yeah, Will that I, present I, a problem? I think that it's a good time, you know, if you've done it in 2002, it's like almost 20 years, it's a good time to come in and review it. And if you want to come in with me, you get a free consultation. I'll look at your documents. and, and Okay, uh, so I would get a free consultation when I come in or on the phone? Either one, either one. You could call okay. me and uh, right over the phone. Personally, I think every, I mean, I know, you've probably heard this before, but I, I don't think anything has changed as far as my end of it. I made this will after all my children were over 18, <clears throat> and nothing else has really changed. However, yeah, I still would like, you know, a review of the plan and make sure it's okay, and I'd like to, you know, have you as my attorney. No problem. No problem. Just give me a call, 978-502-6751. We'll chat. Could you could you give me that number again, 978-502-6751. All right. And is it better for you to see the plan first so that you'll know what questions I'm asking? Or yeah, that would probably how does that work? You could email them to me. Uh... Could I put it in the mail? <laughs> sure, sure. sure, you could put it in the mail. Yeah, it's just I don't have that, you know, as an email. All right. Hey, Catherine, thank you. It looks like we're, okay. we're, we're up thank against the break, much. but thank you for the I call. I will call you. We'll be right back. Right. 